2: You built a time machine
3: How of the DeLorean? This is the Stupid Cancer Show. That's
2: hot. Hello there, children. Hey, kids! People seem to like me
0: because I am polite and I'm rarely late.
3: And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zachary. Monday, September
4: 14th, and we're back, and once again live on the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. We are your friendly neighborhood weekly social webcast. Finally, giving that voice to nearly 5 million young adults affected by cancer.
2: We will
4: this broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, leading the fight for the rights of young adults and bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because this stupid cancer show is on the air. Welcome to tonight's broadcast, my friends. Survivor race in young adults have not improved in 30 years. And the past three decades of cancer progress have failed the next generation of survivors. So there is no reason to think the next 30 will be any different unless change happens right here, right now. We are here to change the world one Keo infusion at a time and share all of our collective craftness. Join us and be the change that needs to happen for our generation. Hell, we invented Google, Facebook, Twitter... Captain Jaya on American Idol all those weeks. And we actually crashed Twitter yesterday with all the Conway tweets after the Video Music Awards. We can do anything we want. This is Generation Cancer and our fight and our duty to get back to our own. We have the sheer numbers, the voting power, and the influence to change the rules because remission is not an excuse for a cure. And survivorship. is all that matters. All righty, last week's show, our season premiere with Ethan Zahn and Dr. Lenny Sender, i 2 our chairman of the board. This week's show is The Bald and the Fabulous with Chad Whitman, Ryan O'Donoghue, and the one and only Johnny Emmerman joining us here. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun, and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network coming at you live from the chemo deck. Our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a 13-year, young adult, pediatric brain cancer survivor, joining me, live in the studio, as always, tonight, our chief cancer anarchist, Jack Bouffard Hello, Jack. Hello, Matt. What the heck's going on, brother? Oh, my
0: goodness. Welcome back from uh, Chi-Town, the, the, the Bouffard Travels. Yeah. So uh, you, two kick off the North American Tour Saturday night. freaking Welcome.
2: awesome. Jack
4: will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room, which appears to be flying off the handle on fire right now. Because Johnny Immerman is in the chat room. That is it. Johnny is bringing the rain. All right. We have uh, some live in studio guests tonight. Um, please welcome uh, our returning champion, Annabelle Holland. Hey. And of course, Chad Whitman is in the studio. Hey, everyone. And Johnny apparently has some family. Who knew? Not an only child. Introducing Johnny's brother. Hey, how you doing? Johnny's brother, what's your name? I'm Jeff Immerman. Jeff Immerman. Jeff and Johnny. The two-balled Immerman. Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs>
4: it's like that life and easy money. You should put your head together and take an ass out of yourself. Yeah. They found my head during my last call. Fabulous. All right, and as always, it is my esteemed pleasure to introduce my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show. Hailing from the windy city of Chicago, fellow young adult survivor and author of the acclaimed book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s, the lovely, talented, blogtastic, and spectacular and newly crowned Ms. NPR wonk, Carol Rosenthal. Hello, Matthew. You are my official queen of, uh, of, of envy at this point for your fresh air uh, fantasticness.
3: Well, thanks. You know, Terry Gross, is, she's the queen in my book, so it was pretty exciting being on her show this past week.
4: I got to tell you, like in that piece and the times that they just decided to write about you, what's that about?
3: I know, I was so surprised, you know, I sat down on Thursday morning and was like, I think I'll go into the New York Times and read some articles in the health section, as I often start my mornings off doing, and I sat down and I started reading this post called, Does Cancer Make You Stronger? And I thought, well, I have a hell of a lot to say on that subject, so I started reading the first paragraph and the second paragraph, and they're about um, Randy, the guy who wrote the last lecture, and I get to the third paragraph, and it's about me! And my jaw was just, like, kind of dropping open. Oh, okay, I do have a lot to say about this. Um, So, yeah, it was really shocking to start reading this article and and see me in my book and a whole bunch of paragraphs and quotes in there for me, and it was quite thrilling, I have to say. And, like, 40 comments. We're up to, I've got to say, I think we're up to 136 comments on that blog Are you kidding me? 136 comments. So those of you who are listening – go to the New York Times website, and if you look under the health section, there's something called the Well Blog, W-E-L-L. The Well Blog. And if you sift through the past couple blog postings and go down to one called Does Cancer Make You Strong? There is a wealth of unbelievably cool, honest, like gutsy, brutal, shooting from the hip comments about cancer and strength and New ways of looking at it, and it's it's a really cool conversation.
4: I got to tell you, I was so impressed, and that thing went viral. I mean, to the extent that it could, the people were t- retweeting it. It was on Facebook and a whole bunch of different places. You are a rock star, as if you weren't already.
3: Ah, well, thanks. I mean, it's really exciting to be getting the message out there about my book and about young adult survivorship and about healthcare. So, um, yeah, it's been a good good week.
4: Very, very cool, and and this, this the whole idea, of, you know, this whole strength thing. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. Strength is overrated. Uh, the, this idea of like, I think, I think my my comment has something to do with the fact that survival instincts don't count as strength. <laughs>
3: yeah, it, it's that. Can we make it, that needs to be a new T-shirt. Right the new stupid cancer t shirt you know i was um I was on wendy hartham 's blog she was on the Stupid Cancer Show this summer talking about cancer and blogging, and she was talking about what do you say when somebody says, well, you know, I'm so sorry of cancer, but at least cancer makes you stronger. And I was sitting with my mom. She was visiting me for Labor Day weekend and we were both sitting at my computer and I was kind of geeking out in my little blog world. And I said, Mom, you know, what do you do when people say that to you? Because she's told me in the past, you know, she'll go to synagogue and someone will say, oh, Nancy, I'm so sorry, your daughter has cancer, but you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I know that she really wants to just smack them. And and so I said, you know, what do you want to say to them that you don't? And she said, I want to say to them, I'd rather be weak. And I thought, hell yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be weak too. This is not the kind of strength I was looking for.
2: Right, right, right.
3: Yeah. So I think that there are a lot of perspectives to be had on, you know, what is strong.
4: Well, with that said, um, did you happen to catch Obama's uh health care speech to Congress?
3: I purposefully didn't listen to it because I was afraid I was going to pop a blood vessel. <laughs>
4: that was where the the guy like screamed out liar in the middle of the Senate liar! like, like as the House of the Lords or the House of Commons or something like that.
3: right, right, yeah, I, I know it' what...
0: in your general direction. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
3: No, I feel like we have got, we've got so much writing on this, and I was just terrified to hear what was going on. I'm a little bit pissed off because I think it's a little too late. I'm not sure why he wasn't out here dispelling these myths a month ago and rallying the troops like he did for his campaign. And, you know, I can't tell you how many articles are flying around right now about where are the young adults in this conversation. Um, so- yeah, like
4: all the people that voted for him aren't doing anything.
3: Yeah, so we've got to get active now is the time. I mean, the time has been happening for the past six months. So it's, um, you know, hey, you guys, get out there, get online, go look for some, you know, public option advocacy site that you can look up a local congressperson. Um, I, If my car hadn't broken down, I was going to make a speech last week outside a Democratic congressperson's office, um, Lipinski. Uh, urging him to vote for the public option because, you know, he is a Democrat. I would think it would be really nice if he were looking out for the interests of of young adults and, and their cancer needs and, um, you know, if he, regardless of what your opinion is, because certainly, you know, I2Y does not take a political stand on this, but we do take a stand that it's really important for young adults to have access to quality health care. So call up your representative. Let them know what you're thinking.
4: So, uh, outside of that, what besides reveling in your your fresh air and New York Times um, celebrity status, uh, what have you been up to this week? What, your 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 other blog just came out. I I forgot what it was, but it was really good too.
3: I was about asking for help.
4: That's what it was. What yes. it's
3: like for people to ask for help? I think I was a little. Um intense in my comments to to other folks cuz I got a lot of responses from people who said, you know, I just can't ask for help because I've been in a helping profession all my life and it was really hard to have the tables turned. And I I empathize with that. I know that it's hard, but I think come on, if we're in helping professions, then we should be able to identify even more with what it means to be at the bottom of our game in life, and to have to ask for a helping hand. So I wasn't too empathetic on that one. If anybody has any other opinions, you're welcome to, to leave them on my blog about the experience of asking for help. So I, I'm, ver- I'm very good at asking for help. I think everybody should be good at asking for help. I mean, what other time in life are going to need help more? So ask, and ye shall receive.
4: Good advice. Fair enough. I'm in favor. I approve.
3: How are you doing, Matthew?
4: I'm doing well. I'm I've officially moved in. Um, and are
3: you settled into the new home?
4: I loved your comment. This is why I love you, Carol, because we moved in and unboxed in exactly like 10 days. And your comment on my Facebook status was that you've been living in your place for like 12 years and you still have unboxed items.
3: Okay, I've been here for a year and a half. Don't make me look that <laughs> bad. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't have time. I don't like to complete things actually. I completion problems. So yes, I never completed unpacking but i'm glad that you're settled in that's impressive 10 days
4: yeah but jess and i are like ocd project coordinating maniacal people so we're like we can't live in a place where there are boxes this is just something psychologically devastating about that
3: can you sofa surf in a place where there had i known this i would have had you unpack my last boxes while you were here
4: i know i didn't pay rent you could have just abused me i know
3: i know next time next time
4: all righty that's a deal that's a deal So uh, let's cut over to Jack. Let's get the news out of the way. Let's see what we got coming up. Let me get uh, Jack out of the way. Let's get Jack out of the way. All right. Where's the news segment here? I always lose it. Here it is. All right. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce worthy news stories to our adoring listeners to inform them about the latest and greatest in young adults, that is, free young adult programs, services, events, projects, and other stuff. If you have an upcoming program, event, project, or other stuff that you would like to hear broadcast during this part of the show, please fax it to us at 646-861-2565 or email jack at jack at i2y.com. Take it away, boom.
0: Thank you, Matthew. First up in your stupid cancer news, Matt, I don't know the last time you were over to, uh, on i 2 ycom but we got a lot of stuff coming up in the i2y world. We got happy hours, we got some new events I'm going to talk about tonight, but we have an upcoming happy hour in Connecticut on September 20th that I will be at. That's my home state. Happy we got one tomorrow night in, in uh, Raleigh. Raleigh, yeah, that's right. Raleigh, 19, Durham. Yeah. Raleigh, Durham. We got so North Carolina. Get, get on over to events.i2y.com. We got a happy hour tomorrow night. Some new announcements for the New York metro area. Sunday, October 4th at the Queens County Farm Museum. We have an i2y Apple Festival. That sounds exciting. It's going to be really cool. I, uh, I'm i going to check that out. And big announcement. October 31st, 2009, Halloween at the Mercury Bar on 46th Street in New York City. We are having our I2Y inaugural Stupid Cancer Halloween scare And Matthew, I see you're wearing your mask already. Yes. Admission is free, and you can get a party pack for $10. A party pack includes drink specials, door price tickets, plus an entry into the costume contest. And we're going to have a lot of insane prizes, so... Head on over to events.i2y.com for all the national i 2 events going on. Attention, Boston, October 23rd to the 25th, Planet Cancer is hosting their
2: 18
0: to 25-year-old retreat. Again, that's in Boston from October 23rd to the 25th for 18 to 25-year-olds. Head on over to planetcancer.org for more information. Can't Make a Dream has their women's cancer retreat coming up October 8th through the 11th. You can get more information on this and all Can't Make a Dream programs at www.campdream.org. Hey, Matt, I don't know if you heard, but Stu Kaplan is now on Twitter. I think the world has frozen and hell is taking over. I, I'm following him, and it's actually good that he's not just tweeting about the mess. <laughs> so if anybody wants to follow Can't Make a Dream on Twitter, it's Camp Dream. This Saturday, September 19th, in New York City, is the walk to beat the clock. Help end cervical cancer. My Washington, D.C. BFF, Tamika Felder, will be marching with her friends. And Jen Pates is coming.
4: Jen Pates is coming? Jen Pates is flying up in Florida.
0: Oh, man, I'm going to have to go. Jen Pates and Tamika Felder, I'm walking arm in arm with those two. It's over. It's all over. So Saturday, September 19th, here in New York City, from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m., come on out and show your support for Tamika and friends and the walk to beat the clock, help end cervical cancer. Let's see what else is going on. Friday, October 16th, from 9 to 12:30. Where is this? In Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, OH, Ohio. Oh, there. Thank you for. <laughs> And we thought everybody couldn't spell. <laughs> yeah, come on, Johnny. In Cleveland, Ohio, Friday, October 16th, is Rise Above It, Help Fight Cancer. Head on over to RAIBenefit.org. That's RAIBenefit.org for more information. Are you, like, slow tonight? Dude, I, I'm jet-lagged. I, I flew from the Eastern Time Zone to the Eastern Time This is the second, second so. show in a
4: row that you've arrived five minutes before the show from another
0: state. That's really uh, true, isn't it? Yeah, it is true. Well, you yeah, have Margaret Pouffard to the All right, Margaret. You do play Margaret all the time. Our very own Carol Rosenzal is the author of Everything Changes, the insider's guide to cancer in your 20s and 30s. Everything Changes is the most comprehensive book available on young adult cancer. You can purchase a copy online or in stores wherever books are sold. Next up, we have 70k.org. That's the word 70, the letter K, dot org. There are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. For over two decades, there has been little or no improvement in survival for this age group. By signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet the needs of this underserved population. Cancer Care Program. Currently going on at Cancer Care, we have living with cancer, life after cancer, young adults' loss of a parent, young women with breast cancer, young adult individual grief counseling and young adult caregivers. Contact our friend Julie Larson at jlarson at cancercare.org or you can reach Julie by phone via 212-712-6173. Are you a young adult cancer survivor living in Rhode Island or Southeastern Massachusetts who would like to begin an exercise program? If you are interested in the Survivor Step Into Motion program, please contact Santina Horowitz at shorowitz h-o-r-o-w-i-t-z at lifespan.org or you can reach Santina Horowitz at area code 401-793-8124 Previous research has shown that exercise can provide a number of benefits to cancer survivors such as improve their mood and reduce fatigue so head on over to lifespan.org to sign up that's Rhode Island and Eastern Massachusetts and finally gentlemen Listen up. Do not do what Johnny Emmerman did.
4: Oh, no, here we go.
0: When Johnny started treatment, his doctor sent him to the paternity clinic and said, Listen, the chemo's going to compromise your fertility, you need to do some sperm banking. Well, what Johnny did from there is he, mur- he mailed some sperm without a live-on kit. <laughs> and apparently our federal government does not like that. So, if you need a live-on kit, head on over to... LiveOnKit.com. Live Sperm Banking by Mail is made possible by our good friends at Fertile Hope. And Johnny asked me to send a big thank you on his behalf to the law firm of Philly, Scroom and Howe for clearing up his sticky situation with the United States Postal Service. And that, my friends, is your
4: Stupid Cancer News. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, we have a surprise for our listeners tonight. Um, Back from last week, uh, I'm just going to get right to it. Please welcome to the show, Ethan Zahn. What's up, everyone? Hey, Ethan.
5: Hey, Ethan.
4: I just couldn't stay away. That's really what it was. It's Jack's magnetism. Welcome back.
5: Jack magnetism.
4: Thanks (laughs) Thanks for having me back, guys.
5: I'll make this one uh, short and sweet.
4: Yeah, you had uh, some uh, announcements today.
5: I did. I did, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, a little bit of bad news. But uh, nothing that you know we can't handle. Nothing that I can't handle. But yeah, the the got uh, some bad bad results from the doctor. The cancer's back, and they just got to go go under uh, a little more chemotherapy, a little uh, radiation, a little uh, stem cell transplant.
4: And you're having a stem cell transplant on my wedding anniversary. How dare you?
5: Ooh, that'll be fun.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna you send you my DVD send at my wedding me if you
5: want. You know, it might be a little, you know a little more exciting.
4: Well, if you're sitting in isolation, I'm going to force, like, my wedding video on you. Oh, God. Yeah.
5: Talk about torture.
4: And if you need to take a nice long nap, I will force Matthew CD on you.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Although I heard sleep's pretty good with this stuff, so maybe I'll take you up on that one.
4: Yeah. See? See, I'm, I'm helpful now, Jack. That's true. See, when the sedation is required, my music comes in very handy. Yeah. <laughs> is Immerman on the line? Johnny, chime in.
1: Thank you. They just gave me a microphone about one second ago, so I've not been able to respond to all the rips on me. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everybody?
2: I'm well taking fun. it away
1: again.
0: <laughs> we can take. We, we can only handle Johnny in small doses.
5: <laughs> right. He, he's done.
0: such
4: a powerful force of nature.
5: <laughs> well, but before you get to Johnny, I I really just need to give him a shout out and thank him for uh, everything that he's done because uh, he's match me up with an angel that's been uh, absolutely fabulous, helping me get through this, especially this next big challenge. So without Johnny and any angels, this uh, this whole battle of mine would have been even a lot worse than it already is. So uh, I want to thank you for that, Johnny, personally.
1: Thank you, thank you, brother. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and hanging out with you, and, and, and you'll do it one step at a time. You know, like we all go through it um, one, one day at a time, one step at a time. And I'm glad that Gavin's been uh, a great big brother. He's a great guy, great, yeah. great, great guy.
5: Gavin's the man.
1: Yeah, Gavin is the man. Gavin is the man, and um, you sound good, man. It's good to hear you uh, keeping strong. Thanks. No question, you'll get through it. And they gave me the mic, and I st- it's still in front of me. It's amazing. How, how much more <laughs> time for the mic? Should I say everything now before I um, take it well, Cut his mic, cut
0: his well, mic, cut after, his I, mic. after I threw you under the bus for the live-on, Kip promo, I think you deserve <laughs> some air time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> lot. Can I oh, get a word in edgewise here?
4: Go ahead, Carol, all you.
3: Can I interrupt the penis show? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Ethan.
2: Hi.
3: You know, thank you for sharing your news, even though it's not great news to have. You know, I think that it's so often that we're always like celebrating the good news in the cancer world, and I think that there's just as often really hard kind of crappy news, and I really appreciate you coming on here and letting us know what's going on with you because it lets everybody else know who's you know, going through a hard time that, um, you know, it's happening to all of us right now. So where are you where are you finding your support from these days? Like what what's getting you through?
5: Um, you know, my really, you know, my family and my close friends and my girlfriend and uh has really been the people that I've been surrounding myself with, you know. It's a complete shock as I'm sure you've all have had you know, have to deal with before but uh but you know, I think really you just gotta stay positive. And as everyone said, you know, take it one day at a time. Every little yeah. every, every every little bit, every little second. So, uh you know, I just got uh, home from four day- three days of uh isolation in ice, my first ice chemotherapy treatment, and then uh which wasn't so bad but now i'm that was literally two days ago, so now I'm kinda battling with the uh nausea and the sleepiness and everything so
4: well, Ethan, we said that that you know puking makes good radio, so feel free <laughs> right
5: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want
1: to make one comment about Ethan, too, and I think we all know this, but it needs to be said. I mean, there's strong guys, and then there's really strong guys. And Ethan's one of those really strong guys that during his own fight is giving back every single day. And he's sharing his story, and he's talking about it, and he's going in People magazine, and he's going on Larry King. And and, and by sharing his story, there's no question that other young cancer fighters out there are being empowered and seeing his strength. And, And that's, you know, it's a together fight. The only way we all get through this By working together So during the fight You're already giving back Man, I have top utmost respect for that
4: Thanks, man I just have to know Does Larry King look As rubbery in person? (laughs) Well, I mean
5: Unfortunately When I was on He was like Via satellite It was me Katie Couric In a room And then we were Talking to a screen But I'd imagine uh, He might be A little bit rubbery
4: Because I met Regis once And he's (laughs) definitely Like a a, a rubbery Ken doll
5: (laughs) (laughs) When did your Rubbery doll come out? Mine? Yeah. <laughs> I,
4: I think can answer up in my mouth. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: it's
1: from the
0: Austin Powers Fat Bastard line. Right? Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But well. anyway,
5: I just wanted to touch base with everyone, say hello, give you the update, give you the news. And then obviously, I wanted to plug everyone and, and let everyone uh, know that they should vote for me to win the GQ Better Men, Better World. Dude,
4: you're like 44% above everybody else. I know. Thanks to you. When I started spamming yeah, all I mean my voting
5: fault. for Ethan, he was at like
0: thirty five percent. Thirty two
4: percent was when and, it started. And then, and then he was forty seven last I checked. Yeah, but it's 40, forty-three or forty four percent. Now the next guy is none of them moved. Ethan, you're the only one that moved
3: on that list. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Who also I, I read about this guy's project and it's really good, it's a really good project, but I think to the right of Ethan is the guy who is liberating young women from sexual <laughs> slavery in Cambodia. And he I has know. all these Asian women <laughs> clinging okay. to him like he's their daddy. I was like, come on, you could have picked a better picture than that, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that
5: is a little awkward now that I look at that.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a, little bit, a little bit creepy that, yeah, he's doing a mighty fine job. But um, go on and vote for Ethan. Thanks. Yeah.
4: we're Oh, and I, I think I emailed this to you, but everyone out there in listener land, when you listen to this show, if you want to vote for Ethan... Um we set up a shortcut for you, so all you have to do is go to your browser and type in i two ycom dot com slash ethan oh nice and that will directly connect you to the g q page to vote that's i two ycom dot com slash ethan and you will be able to vote for him right away
5: that is a big time thank you guys
4: so during johnny's
0: interview, everyone click on i two ycom dot com slash ethan and vote and then come
5: back and listen to Johnny. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I appreciate the, all the support, everyone, and uh, everyone out there. Thank you so much. And Johnny, thanks, and I two Y guys. Thank you so much. You guys are doing great stuff.
4: Ethan, call thanks, in please. anytime.
5: I will. Thanks, guys. Thanks, all buddy. Right, Take Ethan's
4: care. Ethan's on, everybody. Right. strong. All righty. Yeah. Right. Ethan gets the big applause. All right. Well, it's time for our, uh, our spotlight tonight. I don't have an introduction for this man, but he clearly doesn't need one. Chad Whitman was raised by horse breeders in malaria uh, land in in Yugoslavia. Cloven hoofs and shorn scrotums later. um, He was diagnosed with melanoma two years ago. It's been about three and a half. Three and a half years ago. He's alive and well, and his dog's name is Sargent. Please welcome to the show (laughs) (laughs) Chad Whitman hi chad hi everybody how's it going good evening (laughs) now uh take take a minute and just talk us
6: through your your diagnosis how'd that work okay well basically what happened was it was um it was right after my 28th birthday i had a mole that was on my head it was on the back of my head that i kind of noticed and it started getting a little bigger and i didn't really think much about it but then it kept being a little like weird or irritated and then swelled up a little more, and so I eventually went to my doctor to have them take a look at it, and turned out um, it was stage 3 melanoma. Um, By the time it had spread to the surrounding skin tissues, to the lymph nodes in the right side of my neck, and um, I had a total of five surgeries. The first four were within nine months of diagnosis. Surgery was their first option really before anything, so I had the entire back of my scalp removed and replaced with skin grafts for my legs. Um, they did some exploratory surgery in the right side of my neck um, to remove some lymph nodes that they found uh, melanoma cells in. I had to go back two more times to have, two more, um, to have more tumors taken out of the right side of my neck, so it's been kind of chopped up. And then, um, and then about nine months after diagnosis, here I am thinking that everything's going to be totally fine, and uh, we do a quick scan to confirm that everything's gone, and they found a, another melanoma tumor in my brain. So um, the first nine months were pretty intense. Um, I had some radiation treatment after that. I actually declined having whole brain radiation because I couldn't get enough uh, realistic answers on what my life would be like when I was 60 after having whole brain radiation in my 20s. So um, I opted out for that. And instead, I was put on a chemo pill, temodar, for about 18 months. Right. Um, About a year into it, we found more tumors in my lungs, in my right lung. So I had a right middle lobectomy, which is about a they take about a third of the lung out. Um, I never felt any difference before or after or anything, so they, that's what they told me, which is kind of cool. But um, finally, about 14, 15 months ago now, it was May of 2008, um, they could not find any detectable melanoma, and they haven't found any since. So you're like a, yeah, big, big clap So you're like So you're like a, you're like a patchwork. A bit, yeah. I mean, a, a little Frankensteinish is kind of yeah. how I was feeling at the time. It was like, let's take this from here and take that part from there and replace it with this and <laughs> so it shut. It's like <laughs> those creatures in that movie Nine. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but I was the hot one,
4: not the ugly alien okay, one. Okay, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Which raises an interesting point. You're you're a, an openly gay American.
6: Yes, I am. And
4: that, very good. That's a whole <laughs> an extremely openly gay American. <laughs> no, we could just play this then. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Love it. Now, did that add, and Carol, if you want to chime in here, did that add another element
6: of sort of complexity to the social issues that you faced as a young adult? I absolutely think that it did. I mean, you know, I was I was facing a lot of the same like, you know, am I going to live? Am I going to die? Like what's going to happen to me? Like all of this kind of stuff, and you know, I just wanted to kind of go back to like my happy space, which was being with my friends being with my family and doing things that were familiar to me, like going out on a Friday night with your friends. But, you know, like the gay world, it's like you wear the wrong shoes, you're shunned out of the bar. You know? <laughs> it's like, right. let alone have like half of the back of your head missing, you know, it's like, forget it. So it made it extremely difficult for me. I was, um, you know, I had a hard time, um, kind of dealing with, how my exterior looked and how I dealt with that, and especially because all my scars were on my head and my neck, I couldn't cover them up, you know, and it was like the middle of the summer, I would look like an idiot walking around with a scarf and a hat in August <laughs> in, in New <laughs> York. So, um, so yeah, I think that, you know, I I I feel like with straight guys, it's, you know, kind of like being bald is, like, acceptable, and it's much more common, but, you know, when you're gay, it's like, especially in your 20s, like, if you're bald, you're you might as well have, like, two teeth and live under a bridge somewhere.
4: <laughs> don't make fun of Jack like that. <laughs>
6: I was just for example, for okay, example. Okay.
4: <laughs> Carol? Yes. You had a question?
3: Well, I do. I'm really curious about and I don't know if you want to go into this much detail, but, um, you know, when I was writing my book, there, there I could find no resources out there for lesbian and gay people who are young and going through cancer, and one of the things that I found uh, – particularly challenging i mean it's challenging for anybody to talk to their doctors about sexuality and how different treatments are going to affect their sex life and i'm curious about whether or not that was an issue that ever came up with you and your medical team and how they handled that with you
6: you know that was really nothing that we ever discussed, as far as like how it impacted like my social life or my life outside of there. I was, you know, I I was very open with them, and I told them that I was gay, and you know, I kind of figure anybody that talks to me for more than two minutes can figure it out anyway. But so, um, you know, not, that was never really an issue. Like they were always very cool with that. But um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if it was just my lack of bringing it up, but I just I just kind of preferred to keep my doctors. A medical thing, and a how you know what's the surgery, what's the treatment, what's the pill called, and then anything outside of that separate. I I, I kind of needed a separation of, you know, these are these are the people that I talk to about my sick problem, and these are the people that I that I don't talk to about that.
3: Did they ever mention to you at all though about? Physiological, like sexual function issues, that could happen as a result of treatment. I mean, I know that sometimes many different treatments can have those types of side effects, and often doctors are very hesitant to talk to anybody, but especially gay folks about that because they're right. all, Ooh, you know. Yeah, you know, actually, it, it never
6: really came up, and I actually never really thought about that until you asked me this question. I I don't really know. I don't really know why, but none of the I guess none of the um, treatments that I had done were, you know. Related to like would affect me in any way sexually Like um, it mm-hmm. just You know what I mean Because all my surgeries were like on my head or my neck Really uh, I guess the closest that it came to it Is, is the guy that did my first three surgeries Both to my head and my neck um, One of the times when he went into the neck He actually cut much lower On my neck than he needed to go So that way the scar would kind of be underneath Where my t-shirt line would be that way he you know he thought, well, you know at least if you wear I know i 'm not going up to below the ear, but he cut me just kind of above where the clavicle is to go up there, so that way it would kind of at least be somewhat hidden under my t shirt
3: How considerate of
6: him, yes, it was very considerate of him <laughs> so but, did um, you,
3: were there other men that you found in the gay community that you could talk really openly about this with i mean i one of my best friends going through treatment, who I just leaned on so hard. I was also going through treatment, too. His name is Seth. He's been on the show many times, and he's a chapter in my book. And we used to go to young adult support group together, and sometimes he was like, oh, my God, screw the support group. You guys are all these straight people here, and you're talking about your sex lives, and nobody really wants to hear me talk about mine. And we were in San Francisco. I mean, <laughs> if you cannot be like a gay man in a young adult support group in San Francisco, I'm not really sure where you can You, be, you be, mean but- you found enough straight
6: people in San Francisco to fill a room?
3: Yes, actually, (laughs) (laughs) we did. They were all together. I didn't think there were that many there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I'm curious about what that you know what that was like for you. Like, have you ever found another gay man who you can really talk to about this experience of? living with cancer?
6: Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, It took me a long time before I was even at a point where I was willing to talk about that with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I avoided the question. A lot of times if people would ask me directly what would happen, I would lie. I would say I was in a car accident. Um, I would say, I would pretty much say anything except, saying that I had cancer, just to kind of avoid, avoid the situation. But after I kind of dealt with it myself and became more open about it, I have met more people where, where, you know, they say, oh, my God, you know, my mother passed away from cancer or my grandmother, but I still have yet to meet another, another gay person that has actually had cancer themselves.
3: Oh, well, I need so to pick you up. I'm a resource one. full of <laughs>
4: Yeah, well, Brian, for one, and Seth, the other, right? Yes,
3: I know. Well, my husband always calls me a fag hag, so I'm like the young adult cancer fag hag. I'll hook you up. I think we'll get along
4: just
2: fine then.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
4: So,
2: so we're
3: glad, really glad to hear that you're doing well now. I mean, when you were talking about all that was going on, can I honestly tell you what was going through my head? I was thinking, oh, my God, it sucks to be you, which nobody ever says. You ever tell anybody, like, what's going on with your cancer? And oh, my God, it sucks to be you. No, but you know they're thinking that. Yeah. And so I was thinking that when you were saying everything that you went through, and I'm pretty astounded and excited for you that you've been doing okay.
6: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, and yeah, I was – it was pretty trippy. I mean, like I said, you know, within nine months, it was like so many things had happened, and I was just like, I really just, um, you know, I couldn't, I, I could no longer, I got to the point where I basically no longer saw a light at the end of the tunnel. I just kind of thought that that was it, and it was over, and it was all going to end. But.
3: Which is pretty understandable to feel that way from time to time.
6: Especially after every single one, you know, all your doctors are like, okay, we just need to go back in, we need to take these two tumors out that we see, and everything's going to be fine. Every single one was like that. Every single one was... We're just going to do this, and everything's totally going to be fine after that. And after four times of it not being fine, I was like, I'm done. I'm so done.
3: So what is the advice that you give to other patients who are at that point, which is a very realistic and understandable place to be at, which is like, I am so done, because the the news just keeps on being bad news?
6: It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, the biggest advice that I would give to other people is, uh, I mean, I know it might kind of, sound contradictory to what i just said but to just not give up you know it's like when i was at the the deepest of you know darkest of days or whatever if you will it's like and i was literally like i'm ready to give up it's like something just kept telling me that you know if if it's if i'm gonna die i'm gonna die but i'm not dead yet so there has to be some reason that i'm still alive today and i just took it one day at a time and i'm like you know what if i woke up in the morning that was awesome then i got i knew that i got to have one more day and i never really thought i guess farther than than one day at a time until you know until things kind of started clearing up I just I just tried to like focus on on other things and what was making me happy in the moment and really try not to not to look at the big picture so much and like all the big scary decisions that I had to make and things that I had to deal with. I just you know if I woke up and the sun was shining, hey it's a pretty damn good day
2: mm-hmm.
6: Ch- Chad was just waiting to meet Jack,
4: huh? you were saving yourself for jack I was I was.
6: <laughs> Jack's approaching I'm going to hug
0: it out
2: Oh
6: yeah That's my chat That's my Ooh, hot mess like, I love you buddy Two more inches lower And it'll cost you
2: You leave your clothes out put your feet
4: You wrecked the sound Jack What are you doing? You
3: do things Like ironing your
6: It wasn't me I swear I didn't Alright well As this
3: stupid cancer show Begins to unravel I want to thank you so much For coming on And being Being in our spotlight tonight And hope that we have you back again
4: Yeah, well thank you very much for having me Yeah, Chad Whitman, everybody Woo! Yay! Call me Okay All right, let's uh, Johnny's here Uh, He's going to be our co-host And he's going to chat and chime in Uh, We're going to bring Ryan out now And uh, let's see here Let's pull up our cue music here Don't spill this on the electric equipment Johnny's gonna wreck our studio. All right. All right, where is Ryan's information here? Here he is. Founder and president of Rise Above It. He is an inspiring member of the young adult cancer community, Ryan O'Donohue. Rise Above It was originally established to help Ryan's brother, Colin, Colin offset the tremendous cost of his treatment. After losing column to the disease Ryan Incorporated, rides above it as a nonprofit with the goal of providing a much-needed support network to young cancer patients and survivors. He lives in Denver, works professionally for Accenture, and tirelessly runs. Rides above it as a volunteer endeavor.
2: Please welcome to the Super
4: Cancer Show, repeat offender, Ryan O'Donohue. You with us, Ryan.
7: Hey there, Matt. How you doing?
4: How you doing, bro? Welcome to the show.
7: Hey, Ryan. Thank you very much. Glad to so, be here.
4: So this show is the bald and the fabulous. We're talking about health care. We're talking about disparities. Tell us a little about your brother. What was his story?
7: Well, so Colin was diagnosed uh, with a very rare form of uh, squamous cell cancer of the head and neck. At the time of his diagnosis, he was much like many young adults and young, strong, invincible, and had very basic health insurance. And so um, as a teacher and a volunteer coach, you know, he was in a program that took kids who had been expelled from school through uh, a program that not only taught them the core subjects of math, yeah, science, history, English, all, all the basics, but also took them through goal-setting, organizational uh, program that would help get them back into their traditional schooling. Programs like that in Cleveland, where, we, where he was living at the time, and, and many other cities, are just entirely underfunded and don't provide health insurance until you've been there for quite some time. And so he had a very basic health insurance plan when he was diagnosed, and we quickly realized that we were going to be up against it financially. And so um, being a very actively involved member of the community in Cleveland, Ohio, rather than endure this solely as our own family, which we were doing all right for ourselves, but we knew financially it was going to be a struggle. He would be out of work. He would uh, – you know, had had to cover all of his utilities' rent and not to mention all the additional supplements that were not going to be covered under his insurance and other treatments. And so through that, we realized uh, rather than kind of enduring that on our own, we would host one just benefit party. It was a Super Bowl Sunday party, and we would charge $20 at the door and give away $1,000 at the halftime and hopefully get people out to support him throughout the process and and really just, you know, get, get people to rally some support around him Get, in, get, get some finances going for him and help him get, get through the difficult time. He was, uh, you know, young and strong, and doctors said we're going to hit it hard and you're going to beat it. And so at the time we just figured we need to help get him through this time and uh, hopefully, you know, get him back on his feet. And so we had budgeted about somewhere in the range of twenty dollars to $25,000 that we were going to need to cover all of his living expenses, some of the additional supplements and travel costs that were going to be required for his treatment. The and we were just hoping to kind of offset some of those costs. Well, the party itself raised thirty-five thousand dollars, and oh, is that all? That and and to to preface that, we still have not to this day had a fundraiser that was quite that successful. Um, Just given the the nature of that one event, Um, we've been doing a lot of fundraising events in the past four years, and, and they've continued to be very successful. But that one was really we hit it out of the park, and so knowing that we raised more money than he really needed at the time what we believed would get him through the 5 to 6 month treatment period we sat down the very next day and said you know in the spirit in which we raised this money let's find other people who need it and that was really the catalyst with rise above it and at that point we were just the foundation we weren't established as a 501c3 and so we just started reaching out to different uh, different people within our network trying to understand who were who were, who were people that they knew in similar situations that we could help. And through the process, we also realized that we were extremely good at mobilizing people for a fun, positive events, for a good cause, and so we decided to continue doing it in different forms, and we've been doing different fundraising events ever since to really to just try and raise money for people in that situation where they're either uninsured or underinsured, or their treatment just has them out of work and they're really having a hard time Pulling in the finances they need uh, to kind of stay afloat during the during the treatment process.
3: So I've got a question for you, Ryan. Hi, it's it's Carol. Um, Hi, Carol. And yeah, you know I hear stories like this over and over again where people are having bowling fundraisers to help them <laughs> for their medical care, or they're having like talent shows at art galleries. And it's incredible to see how a community of people can rally together to help someone in need. And while it's fantastic that your organization exists and that people are pulling together and making it happen, yard sales to get through their cancer treatment, I'm curious to know what kind of systemic change you think needs to happen so that we don't have to have bowling parties in order to get chemotherapy.
7: Well, you know, I think – As far as the whole healthcare situation, I don't know that I have an extremely valuable position on that. And and to be honest, I I feel like sometimes I'm not educated enough to contribute in that conversation. But I think overall, I think what we've done as a young adult cancer community and helping to raise awareness around the issue is helping, you know, making sure that people know that they're potentially vulnerable or their friends are potentially vulnerable and to make sure they're doing the right things to prevent. Um being in that situation. so whereas you could select some very basic health insurance plan because nothing's going to happen to you, you're young and you're healthy, maybe think twice about that. or if something if you're not feeling you know a hundred percent and or you've been sick for a period of time, but you just kind of feel like you'll get through that period, go see a doctor, do those things that as a young adult, oftentimes you'll hear people say, "I haven't seen a doctor in five years, which is, you know, that's great that people are that healthy, but the reality is that in many cases that's leading, you know, those are some of the the, the biggest issues with, you know, what we're facing as a young adult cancer community is the late, not enough emphasis on early detection and screening, late diagnosis, some of those other issues. So I think the movement that we have going is extremely valuable, Um, you know, systemic changes to healthcare. Again, I don't know that I have as much input on that, on that conversation, but I, I think it, if we can continue to grow our cause and and really reach people at an even younger age to get them to make them aware and to make make sure they're taking the necessary precautions to uh you know to to prevent being in that similar situation. I, and overall, I think nutrition is a is a huge con, uh, component. My uh, fiance Jackie is studying nutrition therapy and really believes that um, nutrition begins at the it really I mean, obviously the focus on it. Nutrition should begin at the beginning of life, and I think not enough people in our society think about that because they're really in such a hurry to, to kind of live their lives that they don't take the time to think through what they really need, need to do from a nutritional standpoint to make sure that they're living a very healthy life.
3: All right. Well, as a a vegan who was diagnosed with cancer, I hope she can find something better than what I was doing.
7: Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I'm not saying that it's gonna be it's gonna solve the problem sure. in itself. Obviously, it's a uh, multi-pronged attack. You, you need right. you need to have research. You need to have funding. You need to have awareness. All of the different things go into it.
3: Yeah. You know, I read a really startling statistic recently that. So over one third of all young adults, I think between the age of 19 to 25 or 26 are making under $10 an hour. What? Less than $10 an hour. So I know I was like, wow, I mean, much wonder, you know, when we have the choice to choose health insurance at all, sometimes we just end up signing up for these plans that can't even get us in the door to get a diagnosis. You know, it's, if you have catastrophic coverage that will cover you if you're diagnosed with cancer, what happens when you're a young adult and you have to go to the doctor six, seven, eight times to get someone to believe that there's something wrong with you? So, right. yeah, it, it really is the, the challenge of, of our time. Can you tell us a little bit more about the the grants that you make and who you fund and what people use the funds for?
7: Yeah, absolutely. So the original focus was trying to get people, and this is another issue I think that needs a ton of improvement is involvement in clinical trials. So originally our focus was young adults ages 15 to 39 who are involved or pursuing clinical trial treatment options. And uh, the reason being is because through our experience, we, we found that there's quite a bit of an additional financial burden in even traveling for clinical trial assessments or to be evaluated, and, and also that your insurance no, no longer covers a lot of the the treatment or some of the basic things like blood work and scans and things like that if you're under the clinical trial. And so our our focus really is in that area and providing financial assistance to those involved in the clinical trials process by covering travel, covering accommodations and things along those lines that will allow them to participate in the trial. And in addition, we've kind of opened it up. We've opened up our funding guidelines to help those who are being treated locally, who are just out of work, underinsured, don't have short-term, long-term disability, and aren't able to stay. You know, aren't, are having a difficult time staying in their homes, and we're just helping to alleviate some of that financial burden so that they can focus their energy and attention to more important things. So we have, a, you know, an application for assistance. We have. Um, a patient funding coordinator and guidelines for how patients are fund, funded based on need. And we have a committee that reviews the applications to ensure that we're prioritizing the patients who are requesting assistance in a way that, um, as a you know grassroots, very small nonprofit, we can continue to provide that what we feel criti- is critical survival support to our to our the demo the demographic of patients we serve. Hey, Ryan. You know, My turn, my turn, my turn. Go
4: for it. All right, Ryan, actually, this is Ryan and Johnny. I want you both to each answer this question. What are your thoughts on the public option? And with respect to the public option, if there was universal health care for young adults in this country, would we actually still need services like yours or mine? Go. So is this me who's responding to this? Uh, You and Johnny can fight it out. Okay. Ryan, well, how I you think. doing,
1: buddy? I just got the mic back, so I can talk a little bit. How you doing, Ryan?
7: Johnny, what's going on, buddy? Um, I'm doing. I'm doing well. With that piece, I think um, it's difficult. It's such a challenge. I think that you know you can talk about it in Canada and in the UK, and and it you know it, it sometimes makes sense. I have friends who live in Canada, and a lot of times their their system does not work well for them, uh, given the, their circumstances. I think it's a, it's a. I think it's such a, a difficult puzzle. To, to work through. And I, I think pure numbers makes it such so challenging. So, you know, I think that it's hard to answer that question. I don't know that I can say whether or not we would be a valuable service if, if there was that public option, but um, I guess that's, you know, TBD on, on how it plays out.
3: If there were a public option where it was what the president's suggesting, where there's still the option to have employer based. Care so the entire system is not necessarily universal, but that we have that as an option. Would that um, make a difference, Johnny?
4: That's you.
1: Well, I you know what, Carol, I'm definitely gonna answer that question. But first, I want to back up to the first part, and I just want to say, you know, my my two cents. What what we see every day at Immerman Angels is a kid, you know, who's 19, who's got brain cancer, who calls in and. Is a freshman in college trying to work at night and, and work at the pizza shop to pay some bills, to pay for his classes, and then he's got to go in for treatments and surgeries and chemo's and so forth. And he's thinking about half a million dollars in bills and all that. I mean, so from the people that we see and the people that we get to know and the people we connect to mentor survivors, you hear these stories over and over again. And, and my my opinion is there's, there's got to be some way to get these kids covered. I mean, no one. I mean, I think our government system's failing. If we look at it and say we created a system, but it leaves this 19-year-old kid out in the rain. I mean, that's it's just, there's not, that's not right, in my opinion. And I, and I feel for these kids. You get to know them. You, they're great kids. They're, they're in college. They're trying to build a career for themselves. And then they get brain cancer or they get testicular. They get something. And there's got to be a way to get it in front of everyone. that Everyone deserves the right to treatment. Um, that's our country. You know, We're all Americans. We're all in this together. Um, Immerman Angel, you know, the whole philosophy is bringing people together, and, and I think we've got to together find a way to get treatments to everyone where this poor 19-year-old is not going to beat cancer and then look at a half a million dollars in debt and think, how am I ever going to go start college again and get out of this, this hole? Um, if I can toss another
3: over, outstanding statistic out there that relates to what Johnny was just saying, something that blew me away is that I learned that when you look at all of the Americans who have medical debt, the age group of Americans that have the largest amount of medical debt is 18 to 34-year-olds. Woohoo! And that blew me away. It just blew me away. It's crazy. I mean, it makes yeah. sense because we don't have health insurance, but I guess when I think medical debt, you know, I think like, oh, maybe it's parents with, you know, real young toddlers, or you know, but yeah, it just kind of blew me away. That
1: and and those are the people, as we all know, we're all young adult cancer people. Those are the people trying to build their careers. That's the growth stage it's almost like you're kicked down once when you're trying to grow. How are you going to rebound? You know, if you're, if you're stable and you have a job and, and, and you maybe have a degree already behind you, maybe it's easier to bounce back. Not easy, but easier to bounce back. But to kick them when they're down in the growth stage, when you're just, you know, being a good kid, trying to go to college, trying to build your career, there's something wrong with that picture that that kid can't get treatment and is going to end up with all this debt. Honey, one, I can't
3: imagine how hard it must be for you when people call you for maybe answers to this problem that doesn't really have a solution in all ways.
1: It is. I mean, it definitely is. You know, of course, you know, Emmerman Angel is a one-on-one cancer support, and we're going to find that 19-year-old kid, a 22-year-old kid, who says, Look, I'm a senior now in college, and I beat your same astrocytoma, your same brain cancer, at the same grade level, and I'm the same gender as you, and I'm going to help you. And I'm going to be a big brother and a mentor. I mean, that's what Emberman Angels does. But, of course, you know, we, the three of us and survivors, we're all young adult survivors in our office, all three of us. And we're going to talk to every person that comes on board and get to know them. And you're going to talk about other issues, you know, beyond the pair-up, and this is one of them. And so we definitely hear it. I mean, there's no question. If you ask Laura or Renell and myself in our office, we all hear it. We all feel for these kids. And this is just a period in life that, you know, you got to make it easier for them to get over this hurdle, not harder. I they're trying to yeah. go to college, yeah. and you just you, you just can't do it all.
7: I I 100% 100% agree with what Johnny's saying, and, and really a public option. I, it just depends on how it's defined. I think everyone should have access to coverage. I think there's no question about it. I think the the challenge is how and how do you build the system in a way that allows allows for that without it becoming a, a huge financial drain. And I you know I just don't know that. Again, I don't have enough information to to, to provide a, a good answer. If I did, I would be a, a billionaire, I believe. But I think that um, I agree 100% that you know a lot of the patients that we serve are in that similar situation where they they just cannot afford to stay in their to stay in their homes, let alone pay for the, the treatment. And we're facing situations where we deal with a, some patients who are literally filing for medical bankruptcy, and we have a very difficult time even providing advice into what to do in that situation because we, we are such a small foundation and, and you know, obviously wish could, we could do more in those situations, but we can't.
4: Well, if I could chime in here real quick. My, my question, of course, is rhetorical, but if we are the generation that has the most to lose by not having a public option because we are the generation that has the most probability of medical debt and medical bankruptcy, why are we not doing the exact same thing that we did when we voted for Obama, which is making sure that this issue is brought to the forefront and the crazy kooky red state nut jobs that are debunking it, like 10% of the people, just get squelched?
3: I think that part of the problem is that there hasn't been a lot of really great leadership and that these are really complex, um, nuanced issues when you're dealing with health care. And I think that there's been a lot of... Uh, What? You probably are asking the guests on the show, and I'm your host. I'm answering your question, Matthew. (laughs) 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 Sorry about that. You know how fired up I get about this. I'm going to finish and then shut up. There's been so much misinformation, and it's really hard. And I think that young adults don't know, like, where do I go to turn for really good, clear information on how to take a stand on this? It was so much easier when Obama was running for office, and you could turn on the TV, and there's Scarlett Johansson and P. Diddy telling you exactly what to do. And I don't think that we have those role models now telling us exactly what to do, which is, call your senator and your representatives, and tell them that you're a young person and that you demand that access be made available. And also that, you know, public option doesn't mean free care. It means that options would be made available to probably every single person who's listening to this show and has a pre-existing condition, you know. And it doesn't mean that the government would give us free health care. It means that they would make a plan that is affordable and available to us that we can pay for if we can afford it. Well said. Um, yes. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry I died. We're laid-back cancer there. people. Yeah. Anyone
1: can chime in. Host, guests, anybody. Everybody chime in. Jack, we've already got to have something to say. Come on.
4: I don't have a microphone. It was taken away.
1: <laughs> I took it because I didn't have one. Sorry.
4: <laughs> no, I guess but my my question before was that, you know, if, if, if medical debt is brought on, if, well, I'll try to frame this real simply, Public option means we don't have to spend money out of pocket for health care at, at a very primal definition. So if a public option were available, would there be a risk reduction in medical debt for our generation? Yes. Would that reduce, reduce the need for subsidized assistance like what Ryan's organization does? I'm guessing no. Ryan?
7: Yeah, you know, I, I think there's always going to be that need. I think that people, um, they're going to need, in particular, they're going to need to fly somewhere to get assessed for a clinical trial or to get life-saving surgery or do those things. And I think realistically, at least not in the near term, there's, there, there just aren't going to be solutions that say, yeah, we'll pay for that too. And so I, I do think, yeah, I, absolutely, in, in cases where um, it's just it, – people want to be involved in the research process and want to be involved in clinical trials, and they're told that the, the, the standard protocols aren't going to, that they're not going to cure their cancer, but they'll, you know, here's some maintenance chemo, we'll keep, you know, we'll, we'll focus on quality of life. And I agree with the people who just won't accept that and want to pursue something else, and I think that for a, a very long time to come, there's going to be a need for programs like ourselves where we're providing that support so people can, you know, keep that hope and keep that, that, that uh, dream that they're going to be one of those people who do survive it when they're facing a very dire situation.
3: I think it's a really interesting point that you raise about how much it costs when you're actually on a clinical trial because we think, oh, clinical trial, everything's free, and not always is everything free. And again, this is a really interesting, um, somewhat political issue, something that um, Kennedy cared a lot about, and also Kay Bailey Hutchinson, who's a Republican senator um, from Texas, and it's one of the things that they got written into the Kennedy Hutchinson cancer bill, which I'm not sure what the status is of that now, but it requires health insurance companies to reimburse for fees associated with clinical trials, and that would be incredible if that passed.
7: Yeah, and I think it's really focused in the area of those standard the standard like blood work and scans mm-hmm. and the other things that you would be covered under that your plan if you were if you were uh, using a standard protocol and so to to rule somebody out for those those things that are standard if they're going through uh, an approved protocol should be covered if they're you know engaged in a for instance a phase three clinical trial. And I think that you know there's been a lot of lot of traction with that I I. I also have lost track of the, the status on that but I do want to I know that it, Senate bill 2999 I guess 299 yeah not they've passed through um, and I think they're waiting they' I think that they're waiting on the the uh, complementary bill to get through so I, I would love to know the status of that and I'd love for people to get behind that as well
3: yeah, well, maybe we can both do our homework and update folks on that because it's yeah. got so swallowed by by all the rest of the the healthcare conversation. I'm I'm curious about it too.
4: All right, well, I think um you know we're gonna we're gonna close up soon, but Ryan, I want to thank you for being our guest again. Uh, we always like to have you back, and I'm when it when is the RAI uh, event this year?
7: This year we have uh, October. You guys plugged it earlier. I appreciate that. It's Friday, October 16th in Cleveland, Ohio. This year we have um, we have Heidi Adams as a keynote speaker and also Sean Swarner, So we're very excited about the event. Um, yes, yeah, lining up to be another great one. We'll have a lot of local professional athletes and other leaders within the community attending and providing support. And really anyone is welcome. And they can find out more about the event at our website at www.raibenefit.org.
4: Yeah, Sean's pretty awesome. We're actually good friends. We we uh yeah. we, we've done a couple of events together and his PowerPoint his keynote that he gives is astonishing. You're going to love it.
7: <laughs> yeah, he's he's a good guy. Um we we recently actually celebrated the 4th of July with him and his uh his girlfriend up in the mountains here in Colorado, so always good to get up and get away.
4: Is that man capable of doing anything in a full oxygen-rich environment?
7: Pr- pretty much, I believe uh Pretty, pretty amazing what he's been able to do. Absolutely. Right.
4: All right, well, you take care of yourself. Good luck. We'll keep plugging the event, and uh, Godspeed. I'll see you in uh, Austin in November.
7: Sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a All great right. night. Way work, right. Ryan. Take care, O'Donoghue. <laughs> All
4: right, we've got, we got maybe a minute or two left. Johnny, We, don't, we want to just, uh, I don't want to embarrass you that much, but I just want to... I, I do wanna, have a
1: mic now so I can yeah. defend myself a little bit. What's
4: going on with Airman? Anything lot. new?
1: You know... Um, you know i you guys know this a lot of people listening, but uh, n- number one point of course, Immerman Angels is there it 's a, a team of survivors and network now two thousand cancer survivors strong we 're in all fifty states, uh, about thirty five countries, and anyone diagnosed who's listening or anyone you know of course, send them in to us it 's eight seven seven two seven four five five two nine 274 5529 and immermanangels.org. And what we're going to do is we're going to match them up with someone who's the same age, same gender, and survived the same cancer. Who can be that big brother, that that support unit to to lift you on a rough day. And as we all know, some days on chemo, some days after surgery, you just you just need to talk to someone who gets it. And that's what the survivors are here for. All volunteers, all just good-hearted guys ready to give back and 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 make sure you cross that finish line because they already have. So um, having said that. And survivors, too, please, if you're a survivor listening, please join us. We'd love to have you with us. The network gets stronger with each and every survivor. Every story has a survivor to tell, and every story can inspire somebody who's in the clinic uh, anywhere. Uh, so please, please join us, join the network, call the office. Laura and Rennell are always there. I'm traveling. I'm actually traveling quite a bit lately, so um, this is a, a three-city trip, three trip in a row. Um, but Laura and Rennell, both cancer survivors, both young adult survivors, are always in the office and ready to help out. And make connections with anyone.
4: How how many? How old is is, is your Amherst Angels?
1: You know, I was diagnosed at 26, um, relapsed at 28, and started kind of in the interim between the two. And it was in the beginning, you know, it was really very small, and it was part time, and I never dreamed that it would grow this big and this fast. So what I did in the beginning, after I beat it, I knew that I wanted to help and give back and do something and just not sweep my cancer under the rug. I wanted to. And Boris said I wanted to find a way to help others that were still in the clinic. And so I started going in on the nights, maybe after work, maybe on a Saturday morning, going to the nurses I already knew and saying, you know, who needs a pump up? And the nurse would be like, oh, you know, patient room 6 We've got a 23-year-old kid with leukemia. You know, Johnny, go talk to him. He's all alone. No one's with him. This kid looks depressed. And I would just walk in, and, and what I found is that people embraced the young adult survivors or any survivor, really, but they embraced that I walked in and wanted to talk, and over time, we thought about it more and more. I'm like, wait, these friendships are amazing, these they're one-on-one friendships. That's when the one-on-one idea sort of uh, was born. And then over time, you know, I kind of looked at someone who was a 70-year-old woman with stage 3 ovarian cancer, and I couldn't help that woman, but not nearly as much as a 73-year-old woman who already beat stage 3 ovarian cancer three or four years ago. So then I realized we've got to start networking to other survivors, one-on-one make these connections. And... um I've really grown. It's been three years full-time, but about six and a half years part-time. But there's a tremendous difference. When you do it full-time, you put your heart, you put your energy, you, I mean, this is a life's mission, of course, and uh, I wouldn't choose any other way. I'm so glad that that this is something I get to do every day. It's a privilege and an honor uh, to meet people in the fight and to meet survivors who want to give back and make those one-on-one connections, and uh, I'm a lucky man to get to do this every day. And work with Lauren Rennell too. I'm lucky to work with them. And Jack just saw them, right? Weren't you just in Chicago? Yeah. I wasn't even in Chicago. He was there.
0: I was, uh, yeah, I was hanging out with Lauren Rennell on Friday at the office. And uh, it was cool, like, you know, to see the new database and to see, you know, the phone ringing and people, you know, needing connections and getting them. And it was so simple where Rennell would just type in the person's age and their diagnosis and, boom, people come up who match that, that are survivors and could be like, you know, this is someone that can support you and whatever. It was awesome. And I got a T-shirt.
1: you like my shirt? I
4: love it. Yeah, Jack is wearing the Immerman Angels shirt while on the Stupid Cancer Show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was new because it's got the number one on the back. We just changed the logo a little bit. And uh, didn't we, Jack, we found you somebody and connected you with a guy who lives like in the same suburb, right, in Connecticut?
0: Yeah, crazy story. Johnny and I were uh, presenting together at uh, at the Oncology Social Workers Convention in Savannah, Georgia. And Johnny, you know, he's on his emails, you know, t- catching up on some work or whatever and find somebody in my town in Danbury, Connecticut, Hodgkin's lymphoma guy who was looking for support. And he's like, dude, he's like I have someone from your town right here in my room. Nice. And uh, we connected nice. and, and this guy uh ends up coming to one of the I two I events. He came to Arangala in New York City. And uh yeah, so he's a friend and he lives uh about half a mile from my parents. So
1: that's that's uh, good guys like jack all the survivors that's what it's about you know survivors giving back and there's a way to connect them and if you believe that there's someone out there in this world who's just like you but three years ago went through it then you got to believe there's a way to put these two people in the same room and that's our mission that's our goal and and it happens all the time that you know we had two guys same city same cancer same age you know both guys i mean they should be friends that's simple
3: thanks for all the work that you're doing johnny great to have you on the show tonight.
1: Thank you, Carol, and yeah. you too. And, I, and I, I typed in, but the ones who can't read um, on the blog right now, I and mean, we have gotten so many cancer fighters and survivors who've called us, who've read Everything's Changes, and have called us, and, and we've helped them. So because okay. of your book, Carol, I mean, it's this is all teamwork, and we all know that, and the better we work together, we can make sure that people find the right services and the right needs and so I really appreciate that because we've been able to make some great pair-ups off that book. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So glad. That book is a great All gift. right.
3: Well, book we'll have you gift. back it's on, I hope.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here in the studio. Yeah, I'm, Johnny, I'm always welcome
4: as our in-studio co-host. And they, What
1: they'll do, I, mean, I warn anyone else who comes to the studio, they're going to rip on you and they're going to take your mic away from you and then you can't <laughs> respond. It's great. It's a great feeling. You just sit there and smile. It's great.
4: Very nice all right people well this is a really great show ran a little over worth every minute of it so, that's right uh, good show good show so uh, all right now it's time for our closing sequence
2: prepare to activate
1: uh, i hear there's rumors on the uh internets
7: you ever seen a grown man naked and
1: so to all of you a fond farewell
4: hooray i'm helping
2: you are a meathead oh my
4: <laughs> you done it again
2: that was so terrible, I
5: think you gave me cancer.
4: All right, folks, that's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Love. I'd like to thank our guests, Chad Whitman, Excited. Johnny Emmerman, Ryan O'Donohue, and our live studio audience, Annabelle Holland, and Jeff Emmerman. Next week's show, Singles with Stupid Cancer. In our spotlight, young adult musician survivor Landon Dunning, Julie Larson, young adult cancer advocate from Cancer Care, and Tracy Maxwell, young adult survivor of ovarian cancer. If you missed any of our previous broadcasts, please check our archives at stupidcancershow.com or subscribe to our podcast at iTunes. At i2y.com. If you don't already have Carol's book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s, it is available wherever books are sold. Oh, yes, of course. Ethan Zahn, thank you for chiming in, my friend. And God bless you. We're all working for you. We'll see you all back here next week, live from the chemo deck. Jack Buffard, Carl Rosenthal, Captain Stubby, and I wish you all a great evening. Go to bed, Leah. Fucker out.